The FT. Thousands of foreign fighters have flocked to Syria to help create an austere Islamic state, harking back to the past. But as our correspondent in Beirut, Erica Solomon, found out, they've retained their taste for modern-day snacks and gadgets, and supplying them has helped Syrians survive the collapse of the local economy. I'm Fiona Simon, and Erica is on the line with me. Hi, Erica. We don't often hear much about how locals trapped in the fighting zone survive. What did you discover about how they're managing? This is actually something that I started piecing together over time, just on the side while I was speaking to people inside ISIS-controlled areas for other stories, and I started noticing a lot of people talking about how much money the ISIS fighters had. And then when I was on a recent reporting trip in Turkey, I started speaking to people who had just left ISIS-controlled areas. And I asked them about it, and they said, yeah, and there's, you know, these candy bars that we'd never seen before, and everyone's selling them. So then through those people, I started finding uh, shopkeepers to talk to. And we basically spoke on Skype and Facebook because, you know, they, there's no phone lines there that reach outside of the region. And um, basically, I started collecting their stories, and that's how I put together the junk food that the ISIS fighters like and other things that they buy a lot of, like uh, clothes with military themes and so on. What did you discover were the favorite snacks of the ISIS fighters? Well, the one I found most amusing was a drink called Barbican. I, I don't know... Um, where that one's from, actually, but it's a non-alcoholic beer. And I thought that one was strange. One shopkeeper told me uh, they consider it halal, which is the word for, you know, religiously appropriate. And so he was happy to sell it. And the other thing that they really like are power drinks, particularly Red Bull. And uh, potato chips are also really popular, particularly Pringles. And the second favorite was Lay's. And they also really like candy bars, like Snickers and Bounty. And these are things that actually people in eastern Syria, which is a very rural area and it's a bit remote from the rest of the country, had never seen before in a lot of cases. Or if they'd heard of them, they'd never sold them for sure. So how did the locals get them to the fighters and how much do they charge? A lot of it is through these new trade routes that businessmen have developed to supply these areas. A lot of it comes from Turkey, through the one open border crossing that still exists near Aleppo. So you have these, basically, there are types of middlemen. They go from ISIS-controlled areas in eastern Syria all the way up north towards Aleppo and out the border crossing there, and they go to Turkey, and they buy everything they want, and then they can cross back over legally. I mean, who knows where they're going, right? And the other option that traders have is they can actually buy it from Bashar al-Assad's government, the regime-controlled areas, when they do that, they pay bribes. So technically speaking, of course, the army is not supposed to be letting supplies go into areas controlled by this militant group. So they pay bribes. They say that it adds about $10 per shipment, and then they get it through. And so there's actually plenty of ways they find to get it through. It might cost money, but they can do it. How important do you think this is for local people in terms of their ability to survive the collapse of the economy? The amount of money that we're talking about here is, is small. I mean, it's, it's not a huge market per se. Although I did see one local Arabic media report that said, I think in one month, one town had spent $1.2 million on Pringles and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, it is, it's something for, for these really, really poor villages and towns that have been hit by the war. But as a lot of people put it to me, while it is a small thing, it's not a huge market, it's the only thing they have left. So, 
you know, a lot of restaurants have closed. Cafes are also banned, or not necessarily banned, but closed because there's so much pressure on them by the religious police who don't allow smoking, don't allow intermingling between men and women. So a lot of ways that people used to make money just aren't options anymore. So this is actually one of the few ways that you can make money. It's not a lot, and maybe it will only amount to something like $3 a day for you and your family, but it's something. And so that's why locals say it isn't a way changing the economy, just because it's giving them something in a case where otherwise they would have nothing. And I understand that there's quite an interest in high-tech or technology products as well. Yeah, that's right. Some of the vendors told me that um, a lot of foreign fighters, and particularly from the Arab Gulf, were obsessed with getting the latest models of cell phones. So one uh, vendor told me that they already had the iPhone 6 in Deir Zor, which is a besieged town, actually. There's only one way to get in and out of this town, and it's through a river crossing. So it's really difficult, and that's not even calculating in the dozens of bombardments that the cities hit with every day. And yet you can still get an iPhone there if you have enough money. So yeah, they're really committed to getting the latest Samsungs and iPhones and all that. To They trade them in and buy new ones as soon as they come out. So it seems that commerce survives when everything else has broken down. But what are relations like between the local people and the foreign fighters? That really varies depending on what your situation is. So there are plenty of people who do sympathize with ISIS for various reasons, maybe because they actually sympathize with their religious views, or maybe because they've benefited from their presence. You know, it's a war, and when ISIS took over, they said, okay, well, I'm going to do what I need to benefit, and they pledged loyalty, and that comes with certain perks, less taxation, because the group is big on trying to impose taxation for locals. It's trying to, you know, basically say we are a state, so they do things like taxing. And if you say you're with them, if you pledge loyalty, you may not have to pay as much. So those people might actually say that their situation in some ways is better, actually, with ISIS than it was under the Assad government, where especially areas like eastern Syria that ISIS controls have been marginalized. But most people, I would say, are starting to be very disillusioned, whereas a few months ago a lot of them were saying, well, it's better than when the rebels controlled us, and by rebels I mean the sort of more moderate, less ideologically driven groups that started the revolt against um, the Assad government. So they were kind of chaotic. So locals at first were quite happy, in a way, when Islamic State militants came in because they imposed a kind of order. But now they're saying, wait a minute, this has made our already terrible economy even worse. We're cut off even more from the world. And, you know, they're imposing all kinds of really harsh rulings on us and hanging bodies in the streets and so on. So I would say quite quickly now the mood is changing and people are, are very disillusioned. So a lot of people were telling us when we spoke to them that, they feel really bitter about stuff like this junk food that they themselves are selling to ISIS fighters. And, and, and one uh, shopkeeper told me, you know, he sells these things like Pringles and Snickers and Bounty and his own children. He could never give it to them, even though he sells them by the box in his store to fighters. He can't even afford to give one of those to his own children while he's selling it in the huge numbers each day. And that's something that I heard over and over, people selling these things to these fighters, things they couldn't even afford. So there's definitely a lot of bitterness there, and the sense I got from the people I spoke to is that that's growing quite quickly. Thank you very much, Erica. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources. 
uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.